Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Local Europe Edition, recorded in Stockholm, Sweden, on Wednesday the 22nd of November 2017. My name is James Savage and with me is Emma Lufgren. On the show this week, we'll be talking about the funeral of the Italian mafia boss who ordered the murders of over 150 people, including a 13-year-old boy. And we'll be asking whether attitudes to the mafia have changed in Italy. We'll also be talking about why ageing villages around Europe are paying people to move there. And with the collapse of German coalition talks, we'll be trying to separate myth from reality. Now, James, this is something that's been high up on your list of annoyances this week, isn't it? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's been so high up on my list of annoyances. I tell you what annoys me with this. It is the spectacle of journalists talking about something they know nothing about. And we're seeing this an awful lot in the UK right now with Brexit and with a lot of British journalists suddenly having to talk about the EU a lot. And British journalists, in many cases, know next to nothing about the EU or how it works or how other European countries work. So um, hopefully in our own small way this week, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll add a bit of truth to things on uh, matters uh, both uh, important and, uh, and on matters trivial. It sounds too good to be true. A village in Switzerland is offering a grant of 70,000 francs, that's 60,000 euros, to anyone who moves there. The hope is that families will move to the picturesque mountain village of Albinen, which despite sweeping views over the Rhone Valley has been suffering from depopulation in recent years. And Albinen is not the only place to try something similar. The Sicilian village of Ganji sold houses to newcomers for just one euro, and the remote Swedish town of Sorosele went to Russia to try to attract Russians to staff their public services. But uh, Caroline Bishop joins us on the line now from uh, Switzerland. So, Caroline, we've actually, uh, I've been seeing this, we've been inundated with emails since we wrote about Albinen. But this offer of 70,000 francs to move there, it's not all it seems, is it? There are a few catches, right? There are. Well, first of all, um, just to say that this is a, an idea proposed by the authorities, but it hasn't actually been voted for by the residents yet. So that's happening on 30th November. Ah, so Switzerland, there has to be a yet. referendum first. <laughs> exactly. So there's going to be a little village referendum. And if, if it passes, then this will come into effect. But the, um, the authorities at the moment seem quite positive that that will happen. So is, um, is the problem that they have to have a referendum in Albinen and there's not enough people there to have a referendum? <laughs> I know, I think there are, there are enough people. I think that's OK. <laughs> but there's only uh, 200, 240 of them, so it will be a fairly small affair. But what are the catches here then? Uh, what, 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 what might prevent people from moving to taking advantage of this offer and moving to Albinen? First of all, it's 
you have to be under 45 because they're looking for young people. So ideally, they won't want families to go there. You have to be prepared to live there for 10 years. Otherwise, they will ask for their money back. Mm. Um, and I guess the, the major obstacle is that they want you to invest um, 200,000 francs minimum. So that means either buying a place for that value or uh, building property of more than that value. Um, so essentially, the money that you will get and that in its 25,000 per adult, 10,000 per child. So that would equate to 70,000 for a family. That money essentially could go to, towards your mortgage deposit, but you still you know, are looking to get a mortgage for the rest or find the money for the rest. Okay, so that's quite a significant catch. But still, I mean, it's, 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 it's potentially 70,000 francs, which is not to be sniffed at. Why do they need to do this? Why is the village so short of people? The mayor just said that quite a few families have left lately. I've been there actually it's a tiny little place up, up in the mountains and fairly isolated although there are good transport things because this is Switzerland um, <laughs> but you know I guess people are, are feeling there aren't so many jobs there and it's uh, easier for families to go and live in a, a bigger town so I think they're just worried that if this continues there won't be anyone left to keep the village going. Is this a problem for a lot of places in Switzerland? I don't know about lots but definitely there are some other villages that are affected. Um, there was another one that was in the news fairly recently called uh, Corripo, I think. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. It's in the Swiss Italian part. Um, and they only have 13 uh, permanent residents there. They're obviously pretty tiny and they're looking also into ways to either attract people back or um, I think their idea was to actually turn the whole village into a, a sort of open air hotel. So yeah, I suppose they're they're suffering uh, permanent residents going elsewhere. I mean, it's the same. It, it's the same problem that we're seeing in lots of places, isn't it? I mean, it's this uh, urbanisation is dragging people into the cities. People are moving to moving to cities for for work and and staying there. And Switzerland is as affected by this as any. But this is an interesting way of trying to get people perhaps to think again. And 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 if nothing else, maybe the publicity will uh, will do it some good. Yeah, I'm wondering whether they're going to get more applicants than they may have uh, envisaged. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I and I should say also they haven't said yet whether this would be open to people coming from outside Switzerland. Um, I would imagine it would just be for people who, who have a valid residence permit, obviously, or can get one. No. Um, in, in, certainly, if the locals inbox is anything to go by, we could at least triple the population um, <laughs> all by ourselves. Um, but perhaps our readers wouldn't qualify. So if, if you're disappointed, we're sorry about that. All right, Caroline, thanks very much. The collapse of negotiations to form a new coalition government in Germany have put the country into an unprecedented situation. Now, Angela Merkel is faced with three equally unappealing choices. Form a minority government, try another grand coalition with an unwilling SPD, or, most likely, call fresh elections. But is this really, as British journalist Andrew Neil claimed, the worst crisis in German politics since the 1940s? And is it the end of Angela Merkel? Shelley Pasquale joins us from Berlin. Shelley, first let's clear the last bit up. Andrew Neil has been widely ridiculed, but does he in any sense have a point? Sure, it's a big deal, but let's not blow it out of proportion. I mean, it still was preliminary talks. Um, right now, we don't know what could happen. Right. And the parties are negotiating. So we will see. But if it's an unprecedented situation and we don't really know what what's going to happen now, isn't isn't that a bit like a crisis? Maybe. But I think it's especially shocking, too, because, well, um, for instance, Spiegel has coined it as sort of the Brexit or the Trump moment. And I think a lot of people from abroad may be thinking, oh, wow, finally some drama in German politics. 
maybe it's just looking at it from that perspective rather than seeing it for what it logically is. And there were preliminary talks and nothing is conclusive right now. Also, I think I think what's interesting is that if you look at other countries like the Netherlands and Belgium, they've gone without governments uh, for months, if not years. And the countries have generally functioned pretty well on the back of it. So perhaps a bit less dramatic, I don't know, Trump or, or Brexit in terms of in terms of the sort of level of political crises. Right. Fair enough. Exactly. If other countries can do it, why can't Germany? I mean, they've chosen this woman. She's led now the country for the past 12 years. She stands for this sort of stability. She is not backing down in her position now. She'll get through it. She's promised the country she will. And we also have to keep in mind there is no other successor or someone else that could potentially replace her, that could lead possibly as well as she. So that sort of answers uh, our next question, I guess, which is, does it lead to the end of Merkel? I mean, you're you're saying no, it doesn't. Personally, no, I don't believe so. How are uh, ordinary Germans uh, reacting to this? Well, I'm getting the sense that people here aren't too, too worried. Just reading through international media, it seems to be a bigger deal abroad rather than the people here all being worried. In concrete terms now, what's the next step? President Steinmeier, he is speaking. I think this week he's due to speak to the leader of the SPD, Social Democrats. So negotiations will continue and that can continue for weeks, for months. Angela Merkel has said she does not prefer a minority government. So I think she is looking to create a coalition. So there are several different options. Fresh elections is another option. But that seems to be not the favoured choice, at least in the eyes of the president of Germany. But Merkel herself was a little keener on the idea of uh, fresh elections, right? So she, she, she seemed to indicate that that was an option for her. She did. However, for her, that could be risky. She has been uh, very strong in saying that she wouldn't mind doing that as um, if, that's a big if, um, that could strengthen the AFD. And I, think, I don't think that's necessarily in her best interests or what some of the other political parties prefer either. That's the risk she'll have to take. We'll see where it goes from here. Shelley, thanks very much. No problem. Thank you. One of Italy's most notorious mafia godfathers has been buried in Sicily in a notably low-key ceremony after dying at the age of 87. Totorina was head of Sicily's once all-powerful Cosa Nostra crime syndicate and was responsible for the deaths of 150 people in a reign of terror that spread across Italy. But while Cosa Nostra was already a shadow of its former self long before Rina's demise, other mafia groups remained powerful. Jess Phelan joins us on the line now from Rome. Jess, what was it that made Totorina so notorious? Well, if I tell you that his nickname was La Belva, the Beast, that should give you an idea of what kind of man Toto Yuna was. He was exceptionally cruel, even by the standards of the mafia. Um, it was him who oversaw the mafia wars um, during the 1980s and early 1990s. These were wars, firstly, against other rival crime families in Sicily, but also against the Italian state. And throughout that time, Rina showed himself to be absolutely ruthless and shameless. For instance, he ordered the assassination of two anti-mafia judges in Sicily, both in broad daylight. He also pursued informants and rivals relentlessly. He threatened to kill all the children of anyone who informed against him. In one case, at least one case that we know of, he actually did kill 
a child, the child of an informant, a 13-year-old boy who he had strangled and then his body dissolved in acid. And even Bloody after hell. he was arrested, yeah, it's, I mean, he's absolutely infamous. If you read the way that people talk about him in Italy, people talk about him like the devil, some people refer to him as. But his crimes were just so violent and so public that it forced a turning point in Italy because whereas before the mafia had to some extent been relatively discreet and kind of kept its conflicts at least sort of off to the side. Now it was to the point where the killings were public. They were all over the country and people could no longer ignore it. They could no longer live with the mafia. And so it was to target Lina and sort of other mafiosi like him that the Italian state really began to crack down they made swathes of arrests and they started keeping mob bosses who had been arrested in isolation in prison. But what I think has kind of captured the imagination with Rina and continued to do so even after he was arrested and was no longer powerful is the fact that he showed absolutely zero remorse for anything he'd done. In fact, just a few months before he died, he was recorded on a wiretap saying that he regretted nothing. And his family as well, I mean, it seems in recent days have, have have seemed pretty unrepentant on his behalf as well. Certainly, yeah. They they certainly don't keep to the shadows in just the hours after um, Rena's death. One of his daughters posted a photo on Facebook that was a picture of her holding her finger to her lips and, and saying, shh as if to refer to the fact that Rena had taken his secrets to the grave and there's this code of silence, the code of a murder. So what is the mafia like these days? I mean, what you're describing there sounds a bit like Mollen Brando at his daughter's wedding, but, I mean, it's not really like that, is it? Certainly, if we look at the funeral that took place on Wednesday morning, it was carried out almost sort of secretly. There were no photographers were allowed in, no guests were invited apart from immediate family. There was no church service. And so that's at least a sign that, you know, the mafia isn't quite so shameless, perhaps, as it used to be. And certainly a public funeral would have attracted protests from people. Not shameless, though, but, it is, but it is very active, right? Yes, you're right. For example, if you look at uh, Italian social media, you do find some people who were saying R.I.P. Rina, paying tribute to him, calling him a great man. Um, and these are often from young people who didn't live through the reign of terror and just don't, don't perhaps appreciate what it was like. But at the same time, there is a kind of nostalgia for a time when, you know, as people say, oh, there were jobs back then when he was in charge, you know, at least things got done, at least he helped the poor, that kind of thing. And the current day mafia certainly knows how to take advantage of any sentiments like that. What the mafia in Italy has become now, they're less bloody, they're less murderous, but they're more shrewd perhaps in how they know how to manipulate people. They're not going to use the same tactics that Totorino was famous for because you know, look where that got him. But instead, they've worked out if they can be a bit more subtle, a bit more cunning, then they can continue to exert a very powerful influence. And that's true not only in Sicily, but in places all over Italy.
organized criminals taking the place of social workers effectively as a way of buying loyalty in some cases yes that is that is what we've been seeing uh, scary actually um but jess uh, thanks for that that was really interesting Well, that's all from us this time. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes store. And if you feel like giving us a rating, we'd be extremely grateful. Or you can get in touch with us directly. And if you want to respond to my rants, you can have a rant yourself on Facebook or Twitter at The Local Europe. But meanwhile, it's Arrivederci from me. And it's just from me. Ciao. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.